The MMA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is presented by WinBet. Get started today and you'll get a risk-free bet of up to $500. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at wynnbet.com and download that app today. We're also brought to you by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. Use promo code SGP on your first deposit and receive up to $500 in bonus cash. That's PropSwap.com, promo code SGP. And finally, we're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Sign up at UnderdogFantasy.com with promo code SGPN and receive a free $25 entry to use in the Best Ball Mania 2 for a chance to win a million dollars. Make sure to tune in to Draft Day where Ryan Kramer will attempt to draft for 24 hours on July 13th. That's right. He's going to draft Best Ball lineups for 24 hours, so make sure to tune into that on UnderdogFantasy.com. And of course, don't forget to download the SGPN app. That's right, we've got an app now. It gives you all of the odds, picks, right in the palm of your hand, and podcasts right in the palm of your hand. You can download that on the App Store or the Google Play Store, and I suggest you do so right now. Hi, do ho, Degenerinos, and welcome to the MMA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, episode 54. You might notice that it is not the normal Jeff Fox giving you the rundown at the very beginning of this episode. He is not here this time. Instead, you are listening to the dulcet tones of Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the host of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast and the Prelim Primer. Jeff is on vacation this week. Uh, but as he usually does, we usually honor each episode with a person whose jersey number resembled the episode number, so an obscure athlete, if you will. And uh, this is episode 54 of the MMA Gambling Podcast. And you know what? It just happens to be perfect. Jeff Fox, the other co-host of this, wore number 54 as he played Division Three basketball in Canada somewhere. So we're going to honor him with this episode. This episode goes out to Juicy Jeff Fox. Now... I already said that I am Daniel Gumby Vreeland. You may uh, know me from those podcasts that I mentioned. I also write for MMA-Manifesto.com, the Sports Gambling Podcast, Cage Side Press, and a number of other MMA organizations or places where you can see gambling and sports writing. But uh, I can't do this episode alone. There's no way I could carry it. This is usually the part where Jeff would go on and on and on about how he could probably do it himself and not with me. He would give me like a 30-minute long intro that would be more insults than anything else. But I will just tell you that I have a co-host today joining me today from the Fix Fights podcast with Kurt and Ben, Kurt Chase Patrick. Uh, Kurt, hey, thanks for filling in here. Of course, man. I always, uh, I always enjoy chatting with you about MMA, so I'm happy to do it. All right. So before we begin talking about UFC 264, and it, there is a ton to unpack from this ridiculously large card. I assume it will take up... Probably the entire episode just talking about just how insane everything that went down was. Let me just quickly run down for you guys the stats. Uh, While Jeff's not here to berate me and make fun of me for my picks this week, he did once again beat me second week in a row. I think it's probably his longest winning streak of all time. He went 7-5 and this past week with his picks. Of course, if you were doing the degenerate thing and betting $100 on every single fight, as we always advise you to, his 7-5 and five would still not have been good enough to win any money. He would have actually lost 137-43. I did much worse. I actually finished in at 5-7, and seven, which would have lost me close to $400 if I was betting in on every fight. 
because there actually weren't very many underdogs who won, and I was very underdog heavy this past weekend. Uh, and that brings our pick rates on the year to 55% for him, 52% for me. Not great. We do want to get close to that 60 degree mark or 60% mark, uh, but maybe we will we'll look into that in the uh, the coming weeks. Maybe this upcoming week will be a little bit better because uh, I think this upcoming card's a little bit easier. But before we get to this upcoming card, we do have to get to talking about what brought us to the dance, and that is UFC 264. I mean, like, a card that definitely doesn't need any selling by me. I mean, like, it was a, there was a $16 million gate on this bad boy. You know, the early reports are anywhere between 1.3 and 1.8 million pay-per-views sold. It, and that's at the ridiculous new price of whatever they're charging people now, 70 bucks a piece. So, like, the, the hype was behind this. this and it, it mostly delivered. So, the main event, for those of you who have been living under a rock, featured Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor. Hopefully closing out their trilogy, although I don't know actually know the answer to that. Uh, it, it, of course, ended after a, a pretty dominant first round by Dustin Poirier, uh, but a, a broken, looked like the bottom of his shin bone for Conor McGregor. Apparently, he's already had a three-and-a-half-hour surgery, but the doctors came in in between rounds one and two and stopped the fight. I guess, Kurt, I, I want to start by talking about this before we actually talk about the fight itself, and, and maybe it'll even lead us to talking about the fight itself. Do you feel like this is over? Do you feel like we're definitely getting a fourth one? I mean, for me, I I got closure. You know, I think, again, who knows what would have happened in that second round. And I thought Connor started to look a little bit tired. I thought Poirier was doing great work. I think if Poirier kept going to the ground game, I think he had a very distinct advantage. Um you know, for me, like I said, I think I have a pretty good idea of who is the better fighter. But again, it seems like there's a lot of heat between them. Um, obviously, there's probably a lot of money to be made. I just think looking at the, the landscape of 155 now, and if you look like a year plus down the road when Connor would actually be able to, you know, probably fight again, like who knows what it's going to look like. So. At least, like Daniel was talking about, for God forbid, if Connor's first fight back was against Dustin Poirier for a title, if Poirier, you know, did take it off Oliveira's hands, I'm not about it. Maybe later down the line, I, I don't know. I, I just think these guys are going in two separate directions. Um, I'd rather see like a Connor, and again, maybe we can talk about it I, I, later. But I think there's a lot of other routes you can go for Connor. When he does come back, and again, who knows how he's going to come back, right? That's a very, very serious injury. He had a serious surgery. We would have no idea what he's going to look like. So as of right now, I, I don't see the need for it. Yeah, and, and I, I think you hinted at what I was thinking too when they were like, yes, yeah, so we're definitely going to do a fourth one. They're heading in different directions, and if, if he does come back, he's, what was he, one in four in his last five fights, right? Yes. I mean, I guess if, that's if we're counting the Floyd one, right? And, and you know, like, Poye is on a crazy roll. I could totally see him beating Oliveira. I mean, that's a, a coin toss fight for me right now. Like, I, I could definitely see him winning that. If that's true, how can you justify giving him that title shot? And, like, if you say he's just got to win one more, well, one more against who? Like, is he going to beat Michael Chandler? Is he going to beat yeah. Justin Gaethje? Like, who who is he going to beat to earn, like, quote-unquote, if he has to, quote-unquote, earn that title shot? Who do you think he can beat in that, let's say, top ten? Well, that's the thing. I mean, here, here's here's my thing. I, I don't know if Connor is... Let, 
let's say I don't I don't know if Connor is an elite fighter anymore, and that's not to say Connor is not a very good fighter because I still think he is. I still think he could beat some guys in you know the top ten and possibly even the top five. But I think his days of, of jumping back into any sort of mix and fighting a Justin Gaethje, a Michael Chandler, a, a Benil Darius. I mean, if you look at that top five, all those guys are just excellent, excellent guys. But you know, what's the thing about them? None of them really have that big of a name. Um, I just can't see Connor jumping back in and taking a number one contender's fight or a fight against one of those savages to try to earn a title shot. So unless it was some sort of gift shot that he doesn't deserve, yeah, I really can't see him jumping back into that mix. Yeah, and in a year, too, you know, you mentioned those guys don't have big names. In a year, those names might still be there, but there also might be Islam Makachev, yes. uh, Rafael Fiziev. Brad Riddell, uh, I mean, even Armand Sarturian or, or Gregor Gillespie. Like, I, I can see those guys knocking on the door of the top five, too. And he ain't fighting any of those guys. Like, no. the, the payday's just not there for him on that. So, yeah, I, I mean, like, logistically, I, I think you nailed it. Like, unless he gets gifted something that we all feel he shouldn't have, it just doesn't make any sense. Now, that being said, it's the UFC. They, they would totally gift him one a year down the road if the narrative fit, but... Man, yeah, it just seems like it's not going to happen. Now, now let's let's talk about the fight a little bit too, because it is interesting. Uh, you know, it, John Kavanaugh came out after that fight and has said he liked the way things were going for Connor. Was was there anything in there too for you? Because you mentioned he got tired. Was there anything in for, there for you that made you feel good for Connor or have positive aspects here for Connor? Um. You know, here's the thing. I thought Connor had moments in in this fight, just like he had moments in the first fight. Um, but I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, I think Poirier probably has tasted in these three fights Connor's best shots. Obviously, it put him down in the first fight at 145, but at 155, it just seems like uh, Poirier is not that afraid of Connor's strikes. Right where he can walk Connor down, he can beat him up in boxing range. Obviously, we saw when he takes him down, he was able to control him on top and land big ground and pound. I just don't think, and again, who knows? Connor has the power to finish anybody. He's finished Poirier in the past. I just don't think at 155, he really, in my opinion, has the power to finish Poirier. I think I've seen enough between these last two fights. Um, not to, to say that extremely confidently, but to, to say that relatively confidently. Um, and again, I thought he was starting to look a little bit tired. Uh, maybe John Kavanaugh has got, you know, obviously a little bit different intel from being in the camp. But uh, for me, in my eyes, I did not like the way the fight was going for Connor. Given, yeah, when, you know, even if he had some moments. Yeah, and I, I think you said it good there, too. Is it, it seemed like he started to fade. Like, if you ask yourself, when is Connor at his best? When you ask yourself, who who is the most dangerous, toughest Connor McGregor? And it's the first round on the feet. In on the in the first round, in the first couple of minutes on the feet, he wasn't even winning that fight. I don't think, right? Like he had his moments, but like I don't think he was winning the fight on his feet because there's a reason he like sort of shot and then pulled a guillotine, right? Like like you don't do that if you feel like you're getting the best of somebody on the feet, and he did that and winds up on the bottom and, and eats a whole bunch of elbows. What did what did you think of the the decision to shoot the guillotine? Like like that? I mean, like it's funny because it's Poirier and Poirier talks all the time about jumping guillotines. But like, did, did you think that was 
a desperation move? Did you think it was like I'm running out of energy and kind of think – or did you think he thought he had it? Yeah, I, I don't really know. I definitely – you know, obviously Poirier has very good jiu-jitsu. Um, it's not something we've re- – we've, I don't think we've ever seen Connor do. So I don't – yeah, it, it was a mix of maybe not confidence on the feet. Um, maybe he didn't want to waste energy defending the takedown. But again, I mean, just put yourself in a terrible position. Like even – dude, I thought he – Honestly, probably defended takedowns a little bit better in the Khabib fight than he mm-hmm. did against Poirier, especially early in that first round of the Khabib fight. I mean, this is just uncharacteristically weird. Here's the thing, though. You have to wonder, like, Connor threw that kick. Poirier called it out. I mean, I, I, have you seen the little um, clips and snippets from that, uh, you know, the kick where yep. Poirier checks it and then points at him? Yep. I don't know. Maybe Connor knew he was injured and he wanted to jump the guillotine and then... Obviously, we saw the result later in the fight, so that could be something to it. But yeah, uh, something was not going, I, I, I think, right for Connor to where he felt like he had to jump that guillotine because that is very uncharacteristic from him. Yeah, that's true. And, and it, uh, let's talk about the injury too, because you know you mentioned that that Poye definitely thought it happened. You can see the look on his face when they paused it in the the post fight show. Like it, he clearly thought he had done some damage. I, I think he took it on the knee. Is is why it happened, but. The, the other weird thing about the injury, too, is I think a lot of people think he hurt his leg when he stepped back, but I actually think he broke it when he pushed off on that punch. Because if you watch him push off, he looks really unstable pushing off. And, like, that, for me, don't get me wrong, like, stepping back awkwardly and falling, like, it's bad, too. Like, it's indicative that possibly it was broken ahead of time. But if you break it pushing off for a punch, like, I definitely think there was damage earlier in the fight whether Poye for sure really knew it or like or or if he just thinks he kind of knew it and then like you know obviously after the fact hindsight's 2020 but like I definitely think there was damage in there before yeah I 100% agree uh, I, I definitely think there was damage you know for it to step back and just you know snap like that it was probably broken you know he stepped back hard and it just gave out I mean it's really unfortunate to see you never want to see any sort of injury, you know, serious like that in a fight. So it was unfortunate that that happened and the fight ended like that. But um, I, I don't know, man. I, you know, Poré seems to think it was from that kick. I mean, he literally has that exact, like, moment in his mind. I watched it a bunch of times. You can't see too much from that, but he definitely checks the kick. But, uh, yeah, I think it was injured somewhere in that fight. For sure. And now, you know, here, here's the other thing that's worth noting. Two of the three judges had the first round. Because all their their scorecards went in because it took them a while to to call off the fight. All all three judges gave the round to Poye, obviously. Now two of them gave him a ten eight round. Would you have scored that a ten eight round too? I don't think I would have scored it a ten eight because although Poye did very good work, I do think Connor had some moments. I don't necessarily think Poye was extremely close to finishing the fight. Um, yes, he did dominate, but he never like established any guard passes. He never you know, had it to where, like, Herbie was about to step into the fight. He never threatened any submissions or dropped Connor, obviously, until, like, the, you know, the end of the fight. But, um, I mean, did I have a, a super big problem with the 10-8? No, but I probably wouldn't have scored it at 10-8, uh, you know, on my card. But who am I? Yeah, I, I was about 50-50 on it, and I agreed. Like, I heard a couple of people say that they thought 
Herb Dean was about to step in when he was throwing that, like, slew of elbows that he threw in a row? I, I don't think he was. Like, I don't think so, no. I mean, it, it takes a lot to get, as, as we're going to talk later with Sean O'Malley and Chris Moutinho, it takes a lot for Herb Dean to step in and stop a fight. So, um, yeah, like, I, I don't think it was all that close. Now, obviously, what's next for Dustin Poirier is pretty obvious, right? He's going to fight uh, Charles Oliveira probably pretty soon because it seems like he walked out unscathed. It seems like Charles Oliveira is ready to roll. I, I'm sure we could see them sometime in September October. You hinted at it before. We're a year probably away from seeing Conor McGregor again, or at least, uh, let's, let's say, conservatively nine months. When he does come back, I'm going to ask you this. Not what... What do you think will happen? Because that's that's a whole other question that we'll we'll touch upon in two seconds. But what would you like to see happen next for Conor McGregor? I think the one fight for me that makes sense is the Nate Diaz trilogy. Um, I still think there's there's money to be made there. I think you could do it at, at two different weight classes. There's no title implications on the line. Obviously, the fight's been successful before. It's one to one. They clearly still have beef. Um, for me, that's where that's where I'd like to see Connor go, and I think it makes a lot of sense for Nate as well. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, I think that one makes sense. Uh, you know, I, I know we've talked out there before about Masvidal always being right there. Um, although, you know, we're going to talk about the welterweight picture in a second, and it seems like he might have a dance partner as well. Masvidal, and I will also say that the interesting pop up of heat this weekend. If he does decide to stay at 55 and that he wants to contend, it does seem like the heat has been reignited between him and RDA, uh, yes. which is kind of – it's I, like, forgot that heat was there, and I know that that's, like – that the reason he fought Diaz was because RDA hurt his foot, but, like – and then RDA weighed in, and they jawed backstage, and then RDA tweeted out a picture of his foot and called it a bruised foot because that's what Connor called his <laughs> way back in the day. Like – it, like, sort of ignited something where I was like, oh, shit, yeah. Like, I did want to see that fight back in the day, and RDA is, like, resurging in, in 155 pounds. He's, like, kind of relevant in that division now. Of course, who knows what the, the landscape's going to look like in a year. But, uh, you know, we I've said this before the fight. I said it after the fight. Conor McGregor's career is not over because he loses this fight. There were always options for him, win or lose. He's a draw. Um, we're going to see plenty more of Conor McGregor. Now, I want to move next to talk a little bit about the co-main event, but before I do, I do need to let you guys know that this episode is brought to you by WinBet. WinBet is bringing you the action of real sports betting with the Win Las Vegas experience. Get in all of your favorite teams, players, and sports games. Generous promos, odds, and parlays are happening right now at WinBet. Get started today, and you'll get a special offer of up to $500 risk-free. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at wynnbet.com and download that app today. And also, we're brought to you by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. Find the best odds on NBA championship tickets when you buy directly from other bettors on PropSwap. See a ticket you like, but you think the price is too high? Submit a bid for a price that you think is fair, and then buy it. Every ticket purchased on PropSwap can be resold at any time with one click of a button, and PropSwap gives you the suggested price tool to let you know how much your ticket is worth. This week, a PropSwap customer sold a $200 12-to-1 Phoenix Suns championship ticket for $1,200. That's a five times return for the seller. Now, it looks like the Phoenix Suns are going to win, so he might have lost out a little bit, but both him and the buyer made out good because the adjusted odds of negative 160 for the buyer is better than every other sports book in the country at this point. So everybody wins with PropSwap. 
Your bet doesn't need to win in order for you to make money. It just needs to improve. Think of it like the stock market, except for sports betting. Use promo code SGP on your first deposit and receive up to $500 in bonus cash. Go to PropSwap.com or download the PropSwap app today. All right, so welterweight action was co-main event. Gilbert Burns versus Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. So both me and Jeff hit the main event. We both said we liked Dustin Poirier in that fight. We also both liked Wonderboy Thompson in the co-main event. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I put him down as my lock of the week. I thought for sure he would keep the distance. He would stuff takedowns. And that just could not be less of the case. Uh, Gilbert Burns looked like an absolute animal in there. Made us forget all about that loss to Kamara Usman. I, I mean, like, give us the lowdown. What, what did you think of his performance in there? Yeah, I would, dude. I was with you guys. I was. I mean, Wonder Boy is my lock of the week. I had Wonder Boy. I took one bet. I did a parlay on this card, um, and I lost Wonder Boy. Um, I think he hit the nail on the head, man. Gilbert just just fought an excellent fight. He fought. Uh, I think smarter than he's fought in many of his fights. He was able to get takedowns when he needed to. He got stung a couple times, but he kept his composure. I mean, dude, I was blown away by Gilbert Burns, and I think this is the signature win in his career. I think it's far and away the best win in his career. Um, yeah, I can't say enough about Gilbert Burns. I really thought that Stephen Wonderboy Thompson was a terrible matchup for him, and I could not have been more wrong. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because I went into this fight thinking, like, Oh, okay, well, what does Gilbert Burns have to do to win? Okay, well, he's got to get on the inside, and he's either got to land a big shot on the inside, or he's got to land takedowns. And who has tried to do that to, to Wonderboy? You know, Jeff Neal tried to get on the inside of him and just got picked apart. Like, yeah, I think Wonderboy landed 150-plus strikes in that fight. Vicente Luque tried to get on the inside, wrestle him a little bit. Got the same thing, picked apart on the outside, 100-plus strikes in that fight. I mean, you could go back to the Woodley fights, but, like, Woodley mostly fought safe in both of those ones. He got a draw in one of them. And I think he landed a cumulative two takedowns and 50 minutes of action in that fight. And if you're going to look for somebody who took down Wonder Boy before, or, or, you know, since Tyron Woodley, first of all, nobody since Tyron Woodley. And if you want to go before that, the last one was Matt Brown in 2012. So... You know, if you're telling me that Gilbert Burns needs to get takedowns and get in the inside to win, I mean, like, I thought it was a no-brainer. He scored three takedowns, and, like, I don't know, do you do you feel higher on Gilbert Burns' wrestling here, or do you feel higher about his fight IQ? Because he, he did know what he needed to do here, which I don't always think he knows. I would say, honestly, I would say probably fight IQ. I think that, uh, I think he was hurt at least a few times in the fight. I think he was, I don't want to say he was getting tired, but there was times in the fight where I thought Wonder Boy looked a lot more fresh than him. But, I mean, he was just able to time takedowns at the perfect time. You saw in round three, Wonder Boy had some success early, but Gilbert was able to take him down, stabilize position. Same thing in the first round. Um, I thought when he got hurt, I thought he, he regrouped and didn't try to get into a firefight or chase down Wonder Boy and get countered to death. I just, yeah, man, I, I think that, his fight IQ really showed in this fight. I think his overall game and skill showed through in this fight. Uh, I really can't gush enough about Gilbert Burns. I was blown away by this performance. Really, really impressive. Yeah, and not that I don't usually think of him as like a smart fighter, but there there have been times in the since he's come up to welterweight where he seems very interested to throw hands, right? Like yes. Because, <laughs> because cause when he was down at, at lightweight, 
he liked to wrestle and he got tired and he came up to, to welterweight and you're like, okay, well now he can wrestle and not get tired. But then he came up to welterweight and he's like, damn, I can punch harder, uh, which is cool. And, and you know, like he, he, he's right. He was punching harder. He was, you know, flooring some people. He knocked out Demian Maya. But at the same time, like that's not the Gilbert Burns who I thought could challenge Kamara Usman, right? The Kamara Usman challenger is the one who could wrestle him or try to scramble and turn it into a jujitsu match. Because Gilbert Burns is damn good at jiu-jitsu. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's nice to see him doing what I think he's best at all the time. And maybe it took an opponent like Wonder Boy to do that. Now, I do want to tip my cap to Wonder Boy here, too, because I, I think uh, underrated in all of this is a lot of times Wonder Boy looks pretty comfortable doing whatever he's doing, right? Like, he loves to pick apart from the outside, uh, he's usually successful on it, and so we don't usually have to see him go for broke. You know what I mean? Like, he, he doesn't usually have to empty the tank. I think he realized he had to empty the tank here in the third, and it was, I, I, I don't know about you, but I thought it was damn fun to watch him in that kind of style. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think uh, at times that he's had to really, you know, dig deep, and again, he doesn't have to do it a lot because he generally is able to control Right, the pace and the way he wants to fight. But again, that's honestly, it's props to Gilbert Burns again to, to get Wonder Boy like off the beaten path, right, to where he had to dig deep and move forward and try to finish the fight. Um, and I think it produced for very high drama in that third round. Yeah, in, in you know, both props to Wonder Boy for doing that and props to Gilbert Burns for continuing to fight smart because that, that's the other thing, right? Like his fight IQ held up even in those moments where he didn't feel like okay, he's not tagging me really hard. I don't have to shoot a desperate takedown here. Uh, I don't have to get into a firefight with him. I don't have to try to kick with him. Like, he just was like, I'll stay safe. I'm already up two rounds. Uh, I'll win the fight this way. So, yeah, props to him for that. Now, let's go to what's next for both of these two because Gilbert Burns very smartly, I think, didn't ask for Kamar Usman right away because I don't think he's going to get him, right? Like, right now... Uh, you know, it, it seems pretty clear now that because of this loss for Wonder Boy, it seems like Colby's next. Um, I agree with that. Yeah, and, and like, you know, not for anything, I did think Wonder Boy was the right person to jump the queue. If anybody was, it was Wonder Boy. Uh, but because he doesn't have the history with Usman, right? Like, Leon Edwards was never going to jump the queue. He had already lost to Usman. Like, Gilbert was never going to jump the queue. He's already lost to Usman. Like, and, yeah, Colby has two, but Colby put up the best fight. So, yeah, I, I think we're going to see Colby again. And Burns seemed to realize that, too, right? Like, he could have called for the title fight there. He looked really good in a, a win over a very tough opponent, a, you know, a puzzle piece that's kind of hard to, to fit in there with, with Wonderboy Thompson. But he, he just called out everybody. He said anybody who wants to get it, Leon Edwards, Jorge Masvidal, you know, like, and it seemed like Jorge Masvidal cage side – was about that life. Is that the one you want to see next? Well, I think I think Masvidal realizes that, um, you know, obviously he's going to have to take, and, you know, he just lost to Usman twice. The last one he got flatlined. I think he realizes he has to take one of these guys. I know he's been obviously trying to poke the bear with Colby Covington again, but, you know, that's not going to happen because, like you said, um, it seems like Colby's going to fight Usman next. Honestly, dude, I think the biggest winner of this whole weekend was Leon Edwards. Because I think Leon Edwards, let's say Wonder Boy won, like you said, he was going to probably jump that queue, and that was going to force Leon Edwards to maybe fight a Masvidal or a Gilbert Burns or something. But 
I, I do like the, the Masvidal call, call out. I think it would be interesting, especially on the feet. Uh, I think Masvidal is a very crafty grappler. He's crafty with his wrestling, so I'd like to see that style contrast. I honestly wouldn't mind seeing him fight a uh, Leon Edwards. I think that would be really fun, but like I said, I have a feeling Leon is probably going to get the next shot after Colby, and he's going to be fine with waiting. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think that leads probably... You know, the one other guy that's going to be interesting is um, Vicente Luque. Mm. If he gets past, uh, or uh, honestly, Michael Chiesa, too, I think the winner of that fight is going to be very interesting. I mean, honestly, dude, a, a Gilbert Burns-Michael Chiesa fight, if that were to come down to it, would oh. be freaking I love awesome. Every, I love everything about that, right? Because, like... Here's the thing about Chiesa, too, and, and not to go off on too big of a tangent. I I have written off Michael Chiesa so many fucking times. And, like, and I don't mean that in, like, a mean way, but I think it's because his body type doesn't scream to me like powerful wrestler, right? Like, when you look at Michael Chiesa, you're like, you know, like he, he's like a stringy guy. He's good at jiu-jitsu. But his body type doesn't scream to me like, oh, look, that dude can fucking take you down. Uh, and then he fought Neil Magny. In, and, I mean, you can count the Rafael Dos Anjos fight, too, if you really want to. And he just dominated the hell out of those two with wrestling, which is just crazy to me how good he's looked up at welterweight. He, I mean, he's like Gilbert Burns in that, like, both of those guys came up a weight class and look 800 times better than they looked at lightweight. Yeah, I, I would love to see those two fight. I've been saying for a while, too, I'd love to see Chiesa fight Colby Covington, but that's just not a fight Colby Covington ever takes um, because, you know, he's he's going to take title shot or bust, and if he loses that one, we'll probably never see his ass again. But, uh, <laughs> I, like, doesn't it feel like that? Like, not again, not to go off on too much of a tangent here while we're recapping Gilbert Burns' amazing night, but, like, Colby Covington seems like the person who, once he's gotten a title shot, is never going to fight anything but title shots for the rest of his life, right? Like... <laughs> I, I could see that, you know, or at least, like, big sort of money fights. Again, dude, I, you know, the, the problem with the welterweight division, again, not to get too far off topic, but, like, a lot of these fights that have, like, presented themselves on, like, a silver platter, UFC is not done. Like, a Masvidal Covington, a Masvidal, Masvidal Covington would have been fight, huge. You know Masvidal saying? Covington would have been huge. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's still fights for Colby I want to see. And, again, like... I'm fine with him getting another title shot, whatever, but I want to see it get moving because, again, you got guys like Vicente Luque and Michael Chiesa coming up. Like, Gilbert Burns just got another huge win. you got Leon Edwards. Like, I want to see it moving, and uh, there's a lot of fun fights to make in this division. Well, and, and not just that, too. Like, you're right. Like, the top of the division is stagnant right now, and you've got those guys just barely nipping on the outside like the Michael Chiesas and Vicente Luques. But if you go further down the rankings, too, you got more guys there who are very interesting. Like... I mean, like, I mean, everybody talks about Kamzat Chemaev, but Kamzat Chemaev fighting Li Jing Liang, uh, Sean Brady, I can't stop talking about Sean Brady. Like, it seems like every time I get the opportunity to, I talk about him for 15 minutes. So I'll hold off on that. But, like, that dude is going to be a really interesting fight for just about anybody in this division because he's got that, like, mean wrestling and top grappling style that just feels like it's going to suffocate a lot of these dudes and then you got guys like, I mean, Muslim Salikov has looked good in pretty much all of his fights. Jeff Neal's never all that far out. Bilal Muhammad thinks he's storming up the division. Like, there's, like, a lot of guys who are just not getting a chance at the bottom of this top 15. And it's, yeah, like, I, I just wish more, I, I just wish there'd be more activity here. Um, 
But that I, I guess then that brings me to my next question, which is Wonder Boy. What the hell do we do with Wonder Boy next? Because look, I love the guy. I thought for sure he was going to win this and book himself a title shot. You know, one more chance at the gold. He's probably not going to get the one more chance at the gold anymore. I mean, like he's 38 years old now, coming off of a loss. But he's like way above the, the some of those people I just mentioned, right? Like. He beat the shit out of Vicente Luque. He murdered Jeff Neal. Like, what do you do next with a guy like Wonderboy if he does stick around and decide he wants to fight a bunch more times? If Wonderboy wants to fight, I still think he's at the level where, again, I, I, I don't know what the age and just the, the, like you said, the top of the division is very heavy and you got just killers coming up from the bottom. But, man, if he wants to fight again, I do. I think you put him right back into a, a, a big fight, you know, um, I'd love to see a Vicente Luque rematch. I think that could be interesting. Uh, again, a Michael Chiesa would be interesting. Mm. Uh, Leon Edwards could be interesting. A Bilal Muhammad, if he wins, you know, yeah. his next fight could be could be a great fight. I think you just put him right back in there um, with another big fight, and I think he's going to be very capable of winning it. Maybe he doesn't, but again, if he wins it, I think he's knocking on that door again. I mean, we're listen, we're about to see Glover Teixeira at 40, almost 42 <laughs> years old fight for a world title, so... Uh, yeah, anything's possible, right? Yeah, I, I will say this because this just came to me as I was looking at the rankings of as we were talking about this, and I feel like now I have to say it so that it, I jinx it intentionally and I don't speak it to an existence. But, like, <laughs> it, it also feels – does he feel like he might be the next opponent if Kamzat Chemaev beats Li Jingliang? Like he's the yeah. right person to build Kamzat Chemaev with? There you go. That's That's a perfect one. And, fuck, man, would that sell – really well on on like a, a headline of a fight night card or like a co-main event to a pay-per-view you you've got me buying that i would watch wonder boy for fight comes out especially if he gets through Lee Jing Leong because that that shows me covid didn't take too much of a toll uh and he's still got it and he's still the exciting prospect of course like lee is is like a hell of an opponent for him to have to walk through but um yeah i i think i think you're right i think wonder boy's not going anywhere yet uh, but this was a, an unfortunate step back. Speaking of unfortunate step backs, let's talk about the unfortunate or fortunate step back for Greg Hardy. Uh, the, the, the heavyweight uh, fight between Tai Tuivasa and Greg Hardy ended in just 67 seconds when Tai Tuivasa appeared to get stumbled by a Greg Hardy right hand, only to land a very nasty left hand that I don't think put Greg Hardy out, but definitely injured his eye enough to make him cover up in a, uh, a, I'm not quite sure the the way I want to describe it, but I'm just going to say he covered up in, in a cowardly type fashion while he got a whole bunch of punches rained down on his face. Ty Tuivasa did the shimmy, uh, did the shooey, uh, then drank some hot sauce on the way to the stands, appeared to dance with Jorge Masvidal for a quick moment, and then drank a beer out of a second story, uh, pouring, which is, I mean, between <laughs> between the celebrations afterwards, between knocking out Greg Hardy, which I think a lot of people wanted him to do, and walking out to the Spice Girls, if you want to be my lover, did anybody have a better week than Daitri Basa? Yeah, dude, he honestly might be the star of this card. I mean, he, you know, he knocked out Greg Hardy, who is obviously, like, you know, the villain at this point, um... Came out to the Spice Girls. He did about, you know, I think he said four shoeys. Uh, 
The hot sauce one, that was kind of unfortunate. I think that guy kind of, uh, he should have asked him about the hot sauce. <laughs> Ty wasn't even looking. He dumped a bunch of hot, and you can see it on video. Like, he really put the hot it's, sauce it's on in there. But, it's uh, in there. <laughs> I think at, at that point, Ty Tuivas probably would have drank just about anything out of that shoe. He was pumped up. But yeah, man, I think he was one of the stars of the weekend. I think he, again, it, it was a 67-second fight. You can't take all that much out of it. It was a heavyweight fight, so this is what them big boys do. But, uh, man. It was it was great to see. I love that guy's personality, and uh, he comes to bang for sure. Yeah, and, and Loki, this is a huge resurgence for him because I, I don't know if you remember, he had lost three in a row, a headliner to, to Junior Dos Santos. He then lost to Blago Ivanov and Sergei Spivak. Uh, Spivak actually put him out cold with an arm triangle choke, and then he got removed from the UFC rankings in a way that, like, sort of made us feel like he had been cut. I, th- I think the UFC even maybe had announced he was cut. I don't know if it was a contract dispute or something like that. He was gone for a year, and then suddenly he's back in the UFC. He didn't fight anywhere else. And since then, three first-round knockouts. Stefan Struve, Harry Hunsucker, which, of course, was on short notice. He was supposed to fight somebody else that weekend. And then Greg Hardy, which are, you know, at least two out of three of those are not bad names. Is, is he looking at, like, a, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get specific on the matchmaking here, but is he looking at basically, like, is, is he a Top 15 guy? Is he fighting a top 15 guy next? Yeah, I think he he deserves to fight a, a top 15 guy. And I don't have the rankings pulled up, but I think, you know, anywhere from, like, maybe a like an 8 to, to 15 guy I think would make a ton of sense. Let me see. I actually have him up right here. Yeah, I mean, number 8 is Marcin Tybora. You know, Marcin Tybora, Augusto Sakai, Chris Dawkins, any of these guys. Tom Aspinall would be a fun fight. Um... Yeah, I, th- I think he deserves a shot at, at somebody, you know, maybe between that 8 to 15 range. I think Walt Harris would actually be a fun one for him, That's too. That's a good I, fight I, as well, I, yeah. I just pulled him up because, like, Walt Harris is kind of at that weird crossroads, and, and it's really unfortunate because I love Walt Harris, and obviously his story is really tragic. But, like, he, he's lost a bunch in a row, right? And, and it seems like the UFC is going to let him go. But before they let him go, why not let him fight somebody who either he should beat, right, like, you should be able to beat Tai Tuivasa if you're going to be in the top 15. Or it's a huge, you know, big step up for Tai Tuivasa. So, yeah, like, that that would be a fun one for me. And I don't know if I'm overrating him because he, he knocked out Stefan Struve and Greg Hardy. And Greg Hardy, like, I, I mean, like, looked real sloppy in there. Like, I don't I don't quite know what's next for that dude. But, like, he landed one punch and then it was like – he looked like a rock'em sock'em robot out there just trying to throw whatever he possibly could. So, yeah, like, I, I don't know if I'm overrating him, but Taito Ivasa seems like he's on the up and up, and, and maybe some of that is his personality, because, God, is he fucking charismatic. Like, Yeah, dude, he's awesome. Yeah, that dude, I mean, like, it, you can't watch a Taito Ivasa fight or a Taito Ivasa celebration and leave there and think to yourself, oh, that guy's not fun, or, like, I wouldn't want to hang out with that guy, like, you might not be able to keep up with that guy, but you want to hang out with that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's great. And, I, you know, I think that's the charm about him, right? Um, yeah, I mean, dude, especially, like, you know, who knows where they're going to end up putting this this Robert Whitaker-Israel Adesanya fight when it does happen. But, I mean, oh, tied to Ibasa yeah. on the main card of that, if they do do it in the Oceanic region, could be, could be huge. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too. Like, him... The, the first two knockouts he had on, on this recent run, the, the Struve one and the Hunsucker one, were both good, but, like, something about them being in the Apex or being on Fight Island, like, it just takes away from Tai Tuivasa. The fact that this was in a live arena, 
he just that dude is made for a big arena. Like, and you're right. If if this happened in New Zealand or or Australia or like you know anywhere with like a a pro Taituivasa crowd, not that this crowd wasn't, but like man, it's even bigger. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Greg Hardy too. Well, while you know he's obviously a polarizing figure, and that's putting it mildly. It's now two losses in a row, and both of them look pretty damn bad, right? Like, the Marcin Tibera one, now granted, Marcin Tibera has slowly made his way to being a top 10 heavyweight since that fight, but man, did that fight look bad for Greg Hardy, because not only did he look exhausted, but he looked like he was trying to get the fight over with once he hit the ground in the second round, like he didn't look like he wanted the fight to continue, then he comes out here and gets starched in 67 seconds, um... And he really, I mean, he's he's two and three in his last five. Um, you know, he if you look at his whole UFC career, he's got no wins over people who are still in the UFC. Like, are we are we still? I mean, like he was talking about boxing, you know, Tyson Fury before this fight, but like, yes, he was. <laughs> are we are we still talking about like is this still worth having him on roster? Like, does it make sense? I mean, he's probably costing the UFC more than, I mean, fifty percent of the guys on the prelims, but uh, like, and I mean that in a combined manner. Uh, but like, what are we doing here with Greg Hardy? Yeah. I- I, I think it's safe to say the Greg Hardy experiment is probably over. I think the UFC expected a little bit more. Um, I think they expected the fan interest to be more, and I just don't think it was ever there. Um, and it, again, Greg Hardy is is not a bad fighter by any means. I still think he can win some fights. I think he's fought honestly pretty pretty high level competition. You know, given he was coming from a completely different sporting background, but. You know, again, like, he's probably costing them a pretty penny. He, he's – I don't think he's generating the type of, of eyeballs that the UFC had envisioned for him. Um, maybe he gets another fight or two. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I think the run is probably pretty close to being done. Again, I don't know, like, if he gets cut, is he going to go to another promotion? Maybe a Bellator or a PFL tries to scoop him up? Um, or he just stops fighting completely? I, I don't really know what to think about Greg Hardy at this point. Yeah, and, and you mentioned there are some people for him to fight that he could beat, too. And I think you're right about that, but I'm also not sure that, like, fights against, you know, like, Parker Porter generate tons of interest. You know what I mean? Like, the the idea of putting him with Tai Tuivasa or the idea of putting him with, you know, Alexander Volkov or, you know, even Maurice Green. Like, Maurice Green didn't stick around the UFC all that long, but, like, he was, like, an interesting character. Or Marcin Zibura or Jorgen DeCastro seemed like he was going places, like... Pairing him with all those guys seemed like they were on the up and up. If you pair him with a guy, the types of guys I think he could probably be at the very bottom end of this, I, I don't think that generates – I think that generates even less interest than what you were already saying was already a low level. So at his price – I mean, I think they're going to give him a fight or two more, but I'm not sure that they're going to be real happy with the outcome at the end of the day. So – um, enough about Greg Hardy. Let me quickly tell you about <laughs> Underdog Fantasy. Make sure to head on over to underdogfantasy.com and use promo code SGPN for a free $25. That's right. Sign up now for a free $25 that you can use as a shot for a million dollars as part of their Best Ball 2 tournament. Also, no draft day is happening on July 13th at 1 p.m. Pacific. Ryan Real Money Kramer will be drafting Underdog Best Ball teams for 24 hours straight. That's right. You can hop on the stream and draft with Kramer and all the guys plus 
15 free entries to the Best Ball Mania 2 will be given out during that stream. And if that's not enough, there's a $500 draft day props contest based on some of the things that Kramer will do that you can only enter if you have the SGPN app, which I'll tell you about in just a little bit. So make sure you download that app and sign up at underdogfantasy.com, promo code SGPN. And as I mentioned, SGPN now has an app. It is live in the App Store and the Google Play Store. That app gives you easy access to all of our picks, podcasts, and so much more. Don't forget to toss us a review on either the App Store or the Google Play Store and download that app today. All right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about... I guess catch weights, uh, but women's bantam weights. Uh, Irene Aldana steps on the scale a little bit heavy. Um, and actually, both, by the way, me and Jeff both pick Yana Kunitskaya in this fight and could not have been more wrong. Uh, Irene Aldana comes in a little bit heavy, five, almost five pounds over the limit, um, but makes up for it pretty quickly in absolutely starching Yana Kunitskaya. Mean punch, great follow-up on the ground. She looked vicious in there, like she was trying to prove something. Your thoughts on Irene Aldana? I think, dude, honestly, the only miss was the weight miss. I think she performed um, excellent in there. I mean, what can you say about the performance? It was vicious, like you said, man. She, Her boxing is just so crisp. I think she's got some of the better boxing in that division. I mean, Kunitskaya is a, is a tough fighter to finish, and she went out there and just went through her again. You know, maybe we'd be talking about her possibly being semi-close to a title. And she might still be pretty close to a title shot against Amanda Nunes because Nunes has beat just about everybody in that division. But again, she missed weight. It's not like you're going to get a title shot off a weight miss. Um, But yeah, dude, she looked really, really impressive. I think her boxing is super crisp. Yeah, I actually said the winner of this fight uh, was destined for a fight night headliner against either Jermaine Durandamine or Holly Holm. Um, that is, that's the name. <laughs> G- GDR is the name. Yeah, it, it's like I mean, like it's it, it's funny because like that that's sort of where every single women's bantamweight is right now, right? Like you win and you get a headliner against either Holly Holm or GDR, probably lose, and then GDR or Holly Holm gets their eight <laughs> title right. shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, it's terrible, but like. I mean, like, part part of it, too, is Irina Aldana did lose to Holly Holm, kind of got out-wrestled, which is, uh, you know, not what you expect from Holly Holm, but kind of what happened. Um, and really, that's been her only weakness so far in the UFC, right? Like, she has that Raquel Pennington loss, which was really close, the Holly Holm loss, which was less close. But apart from that, like, I mean, I'm not sure there's anybody in the UFC right now who has better, or at least the UFC's bantamweight division right now, who has better hands than Irene Aldana? No, I mean, she has really good hands. That's why, dude, I think you brought up the perfect matchup. I think GDR would be just a really fun, stylistic matchup because GDR has some of the better striking herself in that division. Um, I'd love to see how her, her kickboxing style uh, how she deals with Aldana's boxing. I think, dude, that, that again, that's like a silver silver platter right there. Boom. She makes weight. She beats a GDR. She probably gets the next shot. You know, I think that makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, and she might even get to headline a fight night because that seems almost kind of like a fight nighty headline type piece there. Or... I think you could do it, yeah. Yeah, and, and like, you know, GDR – I mean, she's put on enough good performances that I think you could sell her pretty well. And Irene Aldana's now got two awesome highlights uh, between that one and the Ketlin Vieta KO, which is one of the better, like, one-punch knockouts I've seen in pretty pretty much all women's MMA, right? Like, I'm not sure I've seen one that's looked just that, like, purely good without needing a follow-up, except for maybe the... 
the Amanda Nunes cyborg one. That that one's right up there. Um, but yeah, and, and as far as Yana Kudasukai goes, I mean, like, there's a hundred good fights out there for her. I don't think we need to match her up specifically, but, you know, she's alternated wins and losses, win two, lose one, win two, lose one. She, I mean, she's a top ten fighter for sure, but, um, you know, she's still a, a step behind where she needs to be. Um, so let's, let's talk about the fight that... I think most New England fans were pounding their chest in in pride when they watched uh, pride and and horrible 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 fear all at the same time, but that's Sean O'Malley's uh, third round TKO over Chris Mutino. He uh, he put one of the worst beatdowns on Chris Mutino I've ever seen. Chris Mutino took more punches than any human being I've ever seen. Without I will also say this without particularly looking phased by any of the punches he took. And this is coming from a guy who one-touch knockout Eddie Wineland, you know, who one-touch knockout, you know, many people before. But, like, I mean, one-touch knockout Thomas Almeida, Eddie Wineland. Um, I mean, I guess he had to finish up on Jose Alberto Quinanez, uh, Alfred uh, Kosherkian. Like, he's a guy who hits you once and it's over, and instead – it took almost 200 punches to get Chris Motino out. So before we talk about the performance and how we feel about Sean O'Malley and Chris Motino after this one, let's first just talk about the stoppage itself. Uh, do you feel like the stoppage at that point was warranted? Do you feel like it was a good stoppage, a bad stoppage? It should have been earlier or later. What were your thoughts on it? I mean, at the moment, it's it just – it. it was it a bad stoppage? I can't say it was a bad stoppage because, I mean, Chris Moutinho, he was just – dude, he was too tough for his own good. I mean, he yeah. just took so much punishment and kept coming forward. And, I, you know, again, we'll talk about him in a second. But it was just weird. Like, he, at that point, he didn't even look that rocked. Like, he might have even been rocked, like, more earlier in the fight. And it's like 30 seconds left. He didn't go down – I don't know. Again, like, Herb, Herb – you know, Herb has has one of the toughest jobs in the business, right? The referee mm-hmm. always has a tough job. He's maybe seeing something that we're not seeing. Um, I can't cry too much about the stoppage, but there was like 30 seconds left. I would have liked to see him, you know, at least try to get the bell. But then again, it's like, what if he gets like viciously KO'd 10 seconds? But you can't tell the future. Um, I don't know. I can't say I have that much of a problem with that. I just thought it, the timing was, was just a little bit strange. Yeah, and and that's pretty much exactly what I said, is that, like, I don't think the stoppage is wrong, but if you were going to stop it because he was being viciously beat, regardless of how woozy he looked, because you're right, he didn't even look particularly any more woozy at that point than he did earlier in the fight, why did you not stop it in the second round? Or even the the first round. The first round, yeah, exactly. Like, you could have stopped it at any of those points, and I would have felt better about it. And, like, according to the official timer here, we got 27 seconds left. <laughs> right, and I know, exactly. And I know that that's a shitty way to determine whether or not you should stop the fight or not. But, like, if you didn't stop it at three minutes and you didn't stop it at six minutes and you didn't stop it at eight minutes and you didn't stop it at 11 minutes and you stopped it at 14 and a half minutes, like, I just don't buy that you're, like, really worried about his safety at that point. You know what I mean? Like, and I know, again, tougher job. He's, like, on the, you know, he doesn't have hindsight. He doesn't have the view from the outside of the cage. And, and you can't you can't fault him for that because he's having to make a split-second decision. But, man, like, 
if you're really worried about his safety, get that bastard out there after seven minutes because he was getting tattooed with punches. Yeah. And it was bad. Now, let's talk about this because uh, I've actually had some back and forth with people about how I feel about Sean O'Malley after this fight. Let me put it this way to you. Do you feel better or worse for Sean O'Malley at this point? Do you you think he looks better than he did before? Again, it's kind, of, it's kind of a tough assessment, right? Because, I mean, Sean O'Malley went out there and balled out on a dude, right? But kind of like we talked about, you know, me and you had some conversations about this. I talked about this on my podcast. It's like it, the level of fighter that Sean O'Malley was fighting, right? A Louis Smoko, a Chris Matino, whoever it was, I feel like he should be fighting up in the division, right? He's got all this hype behind him. We've seen him fight this level of competition. We saw him step up once. He lost to Marlon Vera, not the end of the world. I would have liked to see him fight – um, tougher competition, right? You know, I don't know if it was, I mean, Sean O'Malley threw the kitchen sink at this dude. Like, here's the thing, right? Like, if Sean O'Malley gets the stoppage in the first round or something, right? Like, we have a totally different view. And like we said just a couple minutes ago, right? That fight probably could have been stopped earlier. But we saw it go all the way deep in the third round. And yes, he got the win. I thought Chris Matino even had some decent moments in that fight. But mm. I think Sean O'Malley stayed patient. I think... I think, you know, personally, I think Sean O'Malley has some of the best fainting in the UFC. He faints mm. very well. He can hide his punches very well. He's got fast snapping punches. But, you know, maybe it was just that night where Chris Matino was determined, his chin held up, and the dude was on a mission. But uh, no matter what you think, it, it's time for this guy to step up. He called out a bunch of fighters. Um, you know, looking at the rankings, if we're going to talk about that, I, I dude, I'd like to see him against, like, a – Maybe a Jimmy Rivera who's sitting at 12. Mm. You know, he called a Dominic Cruz in this last fight. Actually, a Dominic Cruz fight would be super intriguing. It would honestly make a lot of sense as like a pay-per-view card. You know, maybe a third fight from the top or even a co-main event. I think that would be awesome. Um, I think that's the type of guy he should be fighting next and not another like – and again, this isn't a discredit to, you know, Chris Patino or Louis Smolka. But at this point, I want to see him jump up a competition. It's time. Yeah, I agree with you. I would say this, too, and I know the UFC is not going to listen to me on this one, but I really want to see him fight somebody with a different style, right? Because Motino wasn't ever going to take that fight to the mat. Um, And, and, you know, Marlon Vera was never going to take that fight to the mat unless freaking Sean O'Malley got drop foot like he did. Um, You know, like pretty much everybody Sean O'Malley has fought, you know, Thomas Almeida, Eddie Wineland, Jose Alberto Quinanez, Andre Sukumta, although Sukumta took him down once he was hurt, which was maybe the only time you don't want to take Sean O'Malley down. I know, man. Uh. It's so dumb. But... The, the whole point is, like, I kind of want to see him fight somebody who wants to take him down. And there are tons of people in that division who make sense for that. Like, R- Ricky Simon would be fun. Cody Stamen. Cody Stamen. Uh, I don't know that he's ready for Marab Devalishvili, but I would love to see it. Like, and, and I think those names are probably not the names the UFC are going to give him, but I would be more intrigued to see him against those guys than probably anybody else. Now... Let's shift it to Motino because I think he deserves some of the shine. Although he did get 75k uh, as fight of the night bonus, which I guess we could debate that. Is that would you, would you consider that the fight of the night? Like it was really one sided. It was very one sided. I think I think I don't know necessarily know if it was fight of the night. I think there were some other uh, really good fights in that card, but uh, it, it was probably just an ode to Motino, man. I yeah. Mean. Dude, it was just like, here, dude, like, take this. You freaking deserve it. Um, I think Sean O'Malley said the best. The guy's probably sitting in the hospital stretcher after that. Um, 
it's yeah, he deserves a lot of credit, man. Again, I think he had some moments. I think he bit down in his mouth guard. Um, I thought he he tagged Sean O'Malley a couple times. I think he was able to walk O'Malley down. I actually think later in the fight, you know, the first round, he was like not moving his head. He was just on, you know, right yeah. on the center line. <laughs> But then he started cutting off angles a little bit and actually getting to O'Malley. He hit him with some hooks. He started tagging up O'Malley's legs, which I think that should have been a staple of his plan. Mm, he was able yeah. to hit O'Malley's legs. He just didn't go there enough. But, yeah, dude, I, obviously he he acquitted himself very well for, for getting – taking that fight on 11 days' notice on a fucking Conor McGregor pay-per-view card. Um Definitely earned himself another fight, and I'm excited to see it. And maybe – dude, he might even go down to 25 because he looked pretty damn small in there. Yeah, I, I think so, too, although, uh, you know, obviously Sean O'Malley's very tall for that division. He could go down to 25, but I will also say this. I think that performance landed him, I'm going to say this, at least two more fights in the U.S. Yeah, I would agree he, with that, yeah. Because I, I, think, I think he made Dana White a fan of his, which is not easy to do, taking a fight on short notice, but he uh, he certainly did it. So props off to Chris Moutinho. Uh, let's go through the, the prelim card pretty light and quick here. Um Welterweights, Max Griffin defeated Carlos Condit pretty handedly. Uh, it was pretty clearly two rounds to one for Max Griffin, although one judge gave him three rounds. I, I mean, a good performance, but Max Griffin, we we talked a little bit about it on the prelim primer, but Carlos Condit looked resurgent, but just probably too much with Max Griffin, no? Yeah, I think, um, you know, he, it took him a little while to figure, you know, Max Griffin out. I thought he had a lot of success in that second round, but Max Griffin, you know, fought a good third round. Uh, I thought he deserved the win. Um, honestly, man, I, I, I think Carlos still has a little bit left in this tank. I wanted to see him get that win. Obviously, I picked him. I was wrong on that one as well. But uh, I thought it was a pretty pretty solid performance for both guys. It was, it was a fun fight. Yeah, I definitely thought it was a fun fight. I did have Griffin in that one, but uh, it, it was it was a lot closer than I envisioned it being. Um, speaking of close, actually, this one wasn't all that close. Michelle Ferreira defeated Nico Price 29-28 across the boards. Uh, you know, Price tried to storm back a little bit at the end. Uh, hats off to Jeff. Jeff took Pereira. I took Nico Price with the upset here. Um, I mean, Pereira is going to be continue to be fun to watch, but do you see him as a real threat at welterweight? I think Michelle Pereira has earned himself a – kind of like we were talking about with Tai Tuivasa. Uh, I think he's earned himself a top 15 guy. You know, uh, Michelle Pereira and Muslim Salikov would be uh, – a ton oh, of fun. God, that like, would be, that would dude, be fun. even like a, a Ponzinibbio would be a ton of fun. Mm. Uh, I think he's, I think he's earned himself a shot at guys like that. I mean, he's on a three fight win streak. Um, cardio looked a little weary at the end of this fight, but I thought he put in enough work in the early two rounds. Um, again, he tried to fight this fight more patient. I mean, obviously we, <laughs> we saw some of the wildness come out, but I think, uh, he's got the skill set and the explosiveness to, uh, yeah, I think he deserves a shot, man. I, I yeah. don't see him against a top ten, not a uh, top fifteen guy. I love talking about the fact that this guy had a more measured approach when he did a cartwheel kick, a backflip <laughs> into mount, in uh, in like two different Superman punches where he kicked off the cage, and that was the measured approach from Jeff Pereira. Um, uh, let's talk about an actual measured approach, and that's Alia Tapuria. He defeated Ryan Hall by first round knockout um, after. Staying away from all the leg lock attempts, Ryan Hall rolled into one of them and then just took a whole bunch of mean-ass ground and pound. Speaking of guys who deserve a top 15 opponent, Aliyah Tapuria, man, I don't know about you, but I couldn't be higher on this guy. Yeah, that was uh, – he fought a very, very smart fight. Um, he stayed patient. Uh, 
it, again, Ryan Hall is like a very, very weird dude to fight, and we saw that. Toporia didn't open up, but I thought he stayed patient. He waited for his opportunity, and, uh, man, he finished Ryan Hall on the ground. Again, he knocked him out. It's not like he submitted him or anything, but yeah, I think, I think he deserves a top 10 guy. Dude, could you imagine an Ilya Toporia, Shane Burgos? Or uh, even Alex Caceres would be a fun little litmus test for him. But uh, I definitely think he deserves one of these guys, maybe 11 to 15. I think all those names there would be very good fights. The one that sticks out to me is Bryce Mitchell. I'd, yeah, love, to see, I'd love to see those two tangle on the ground. Because Tapuria, not for anything, actually really good at jiu-jitsu. He didn't engage uh, Ryan Hall. Although I will say this. His choice of when to throw punches on the ground was very smart. Very smart, uh, yeah. Yeah, he, he waited until there's 25 seconds left, and he was like, I can hold out against the leg lock basically for 25 seconds, so I'll open up now. Um, I don't know if that was in the, the actual game plan or not, but it was, uh, at least in the moment, very, very smart. So, yeah, uh, sky's the limit for Tapuria at the, the moment. He's currently still undefeated. Um, also looked really good and earned himself a bonus was uh, Driscus Duplacis, uh, and I'm probably saying his name wrong, even though he told us on the broadcast how to say his name, uh, but he knocked out Trevin Giles pretty brutally with a counter punch in the second round. This is one of the picks that I did get right, which weren't too many on the prelims, but I did pick him correctly. Um, man, he, he looked pretty good in there too, and I know it's only his second fight in the UFC, He's got those high-level KSW fights, it's, it, and I can't believe we're saying this about every single person on the premiums, but, like, is, is he knocking on the door of the top 50? Yeah, I think I think this is a very impressive performance. I thought pretty highly of Trevin Jones, or Trevin Giles coming into this fight, and the uh, police looked really freaking good. That counter uh, shot hit was beautiful, put his lights out. Um, obviously, he's got really, really good striking. I think his ground game is also... Um, pretty developed. Yeah, I think he uh, he himself deserves another shot at a guy hanging near that top 15. Yeah, and we're, we're maybe going a little bit out of order here, but I'll, I'll move it down two fights to, to the other middleweight fight, and this maybe is not a bad opponent for him, but Brad Tavares took a, I, I guess we're going to call it a split decision. He should have taken a unanimous decision over our, my, Omari Akhmedov, and that's coming from me. Who picked Omari Akhmedov, but there's no way Akhmedov won that fight. Uh, actually, both me and Jeff picked Omari Akhmedov. We were both wrong on that one. Brad Tavares uh, clearly won two rounds at a split decision. What do you think about him versus Duplices? Yeah, I think that could be a fun fight. I think uh, Tavares has solid striking. Duplices has um, great striking. I think it makes sense uh, you know, for both of those guys. Yeah, I'm all yeah, for and, it. And Tavares looked fast in this one, too, which I think the uh, – Maybe the announcing team harped on a little bit too much how fast he looked because he looks faster than Omar Akhmedov, but maybe not uh, like the the human Manny flash. Pacquiao. Yeah, <laughs> Manny Pacquiao or the human flash or something like that. But like they made it sound like he was, man, the second coming of, of some very fast boxer. And it was, uh, I mean, he was good, but maybe not that. Um, we'll move back up one. Uh, women's flyweight, Jennifer Maya defeated Jessica I. Um, opened up maybe one of the more gnarly cuts I've seen. Uh it has been good meme material on the internet for uh, putting googly eyes on that cut and making it look like a face, things like that. But uh, I would say Jennifer Maya surprised me with the power in her boxing. Yeah, I thought uh, I thought Maya clearly won that fight. Um, the internet is always undefeated. Um, yeah, she looked she looked good. I mean, she really she obviously really did a number on Jessica I's face. Um, you know, she she's sitting at four coming into this fight. I mean. That's the thing. It's like there's not – like if you look at this this top 15, I mean there's not a lot of options like fighting up for Jennifer Maya. Um, I think Lauren Murphy 
is probably going to get the next shot. Maybe she fights a Chukagian or, honestly, an Andrade fight would be pretty damn fun, too. Um, yeah, I thought she looked really good, though. Yeah, and, and I actually I interviewed uh, Marina Maverick, who will be on Top Turtle this week, about how the UFC just doesn't seem to be doing anything with their flyweight division other than having the top five women or five or six women fight each other. Uh, or even like the top eight women fight each other, and then having the bottom seven women in the rankings fight each other. And it also seems to be split on age. You know, like Lauren Murphy's older, Roxanne Modafari's older. I don't know, is Caitlin Chokagian older or not? She, she's I want to say she's probably like mid-30s. Yeah, she's probably mid-30s. And, and like, I, I mean, Jennifer Maya's even like her lower, low to mid-30s. And Jessica I's not younger. And like, jo- I think Joanne Calderwood is probably mid-30s by now. And like... I'd just like to see them put Jennifer Maya in there with somebody like, you know, somebody like Miranda Maverick or somebody like, you know, Alexa Grasso or, you know, like let let one of the young women try to fight their way into the top of this division because it is starting to look stale at the top of flyweight. But it really is. Yeah. And it's it's like kind of disappointing because, like you said, like uh, Lauren Murphy definitely deserves the next title shot. But like, man, like. If she loses, like, what is there in that top seven that makes you excited? It's not much. And the well, only that's, thing. That's, that's yeah. the problem, man. It's like you have such this dominant force at the top, and there's not a lot of pop outside of that. It's like next land to slaughter, right? They're not right. like. I feel like, like I guess, kind of like Miranda Maverick was saying, they're not properly building up their contenders, right? Well, and, and if you look at what who Miranda Maverick has fought too, not to you know like take all the the shine out of this interview, which will air later in the week, but like if you look at those top contenders too, they all kind of fight similarly. You know, like the, I mean, they, there's variations in what they do, but like she's like a big wrestler type. Like why why are we not promoting her? Or like you know, Alexa Grasso is like a very pure boxer, and again, we're not building her up either. And then if you look at the people Miranda Maverick has fought in her career. Dude, it, it is all young up-and-comers like her. Really, they, they they had her fight. I'm, I mean, if you want to go back to Invicta, she fought Pearl Gonzalez. That doesn't really count. But, like, so far she's fought Leanna Jojua, who's young. Right? Like, Leanna Jojua is only, like, 26 years old. She fought Jillian Robertson, who, despite having a ton of fights, is also only, like, 25, 26 years old. And now she's fighting Macy Barber, who's only, like, what, 23 years old. Yeah, so, she's like, very young. So she's fighting young girl after young girl after young girl when there's all of these, like, older women who I don't say they need to be removed, but at least like at least give the opportunity that some mix up could happen. But um enough of me complaining about that. Let's go uh to the last fight which was uh Zalgus Zumagulov who fought Jerome Rivera gave him his fourth straight loss. Zumagulov gets his first win in his three UFC bouts and what was probably one of the more gnarly neck neck crank guillotine type weird angle guillotine. I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, but it was gnarly looking, and he gets the tap. Uh, you picked Zalgas Zumagulov, uh, as did my co-host Jeff. I took Rivera, who was a large underdog. I liked the plus 280 number I think he appeared at. Uh, didn't pay off for me. What would you think about Zalgas? That was a nasty, nasty <laughs> little variation, man. That was uh, really impressive. Again, it was only a two-minute fight, so there's not a lot you can pull out of it. But again, like I said, on the pre, uh, prelim primer, I think Zubagalov is pretty well-rounded. I think he does have a nice skill set. It was nice to see him get his first win, and we'll see where he goes from there. But, dude, that neck crank was uh, nasty. 
Yeah, and he was also, and I went back and watched after the prelim primary, he was also in a much closer fight with Amir Albazi, who I'm actually a pretty big fan of Amir Albazi. He was in a lot closer of a fight than I remembered it being. I thought Albazi ran away with it, and I rewatched it, and like, he looked good in that one too, so maybe maybe I wrote him off a little bit too fast, but it does seem like this is probably the end of the road for Jerome Rivera at 0-4. Not a whole lot of people get four chances at their first UFC win, and uh, it, sadly, it's probably the end for him. Now... One last thing before we uh, we put a pin in all of this. I usually like to talk about the performance awards because we talked a little bit about who won Fight of the Night and how I didn't agree with it. Uh, performance of the Night went to Tai Tuivasa and Driscus Duplices. Um, what are your thoughts on those awards? Is that where you would have given them? Do you got a different one? Where, where would have you gone with the four set 75K bonuses, by the way? Not 50K. 75K bonuses uh, had you had your druthers. I think they're fair. Again, I think I think for Tui Vasa, it was the whole like performance, not only mm. the fight, but like the, the show, intro, the, the Tui Vasa yes, show, the show, <laughs> yes, to the to him on the mic and hyping up the fans and then drinking the shoeies. Yeah, I'm all about that. Um, honestly, I would probably go with uh, Toporia over um, Duplessis just because I again I think very highly of Ryan Hall mm. and that was a very impressive performance. Um, yeah, Chris Matino used to get some sort of money, whether it was fight of the night or just a $75 check just to have. Um, I, I mean, Irene Aldana, she was she was up there. This card was just, honestly, from top to bottom, it was really freaking good. There was a lot of good things going on in this card. And that Jennifer Maya Jessica I fight, I don't think I had it as fight of the night, but it wasn't all that far away. Max Griffin, Carlos Condit would have been fine for me as fight of the night. Um, you know, like th- there were there were plenty of options for fight of the night, but I think you're right. At the end of the day, they were trying to figure out how they could just hand Chris Matino seventy five thousand. Which, of course, <laughs> if they just paid him a little bit better, they probably could have just handed him seventy five thousand regularly. But yeah, true, uh, true. yeah but like uh, ultimately. Uh, I am glad to see him get it because that's, you know, I've said this time and time again, if you're going to give bonuses to people and it's close, give it to the person where that's life-changing money, right? Like if if you're going to give a $75,000 bonus to either, you know, Chris Matino or, you know, say it was a different main event or Conor McGregor, like 75,000 is, you know, the type of money that Conor wipes his ass with. Whereas I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Chris Matino suddenly doesn't have to mix pain at Sherman Williams anymore. So, uh, like, good for him for being able to, like, you know, actually just train and fight. So that that's going to be big money for him. Um, All right, so that just about does it for our recap of UFC 264, Poye versus McGregor. Of course, we will be back on our usual Wednesday show. Juicy Jeff Fox will be rejoining me then for the preview of Islam Makachev versus Tiago Moises in the main event, as well as Marion Renault versus Misha Tate in uh, what is... A very bizarre fight to be a co-main event. Um, I can't believe we're actually seeing Misha Tate fight again. Of course, there's all kinds of other really fun fights on there, as well as getting to see Matros Gamro fight again against Jeremy Stevens, no matter how you feel about him. Rodolfo Vieira getting a chance to redeem himself after getting submitted last time out. Montserrat Ruiz, who I'm a big fan of and we'll talk about, and all kinds of other good fights. But we'll be getting to that on Wednesday, of course. Remember to rate and subscribe to the MMA Gambling Podcast if you are listening to this in the Sports Gambling Podcast feed. We will be in both places for a little while longer, but we will soon only be in the MMA Gambling Podcast feed. So if you are following us 
in the full Sports Gambling Podcast feed. Make sure you head on over to the MMA Gambling Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of good stuff. Leave us five stars. Tell us we did a good job. If you don't think we did a good job, just maybe just go somewhere else then. Um, but in the meantime, uh, make sure that you also follow all of my writing at Gumby Vreeland. You can find me on Twitter, uh, and that's usually where you'll see all my writing in the various places. Of course, you can go to the sportsgamblingpodcast.com, SGPN, and follow me there, as well as MMA-Manifesto, where I'll have a couple of previews coming out. You can, of course, find Jeff's work there as well. And if you want to j- check out my new co-host for the day, which Jeff may be a little bit jealous, but you can check out my new co-host for the day uh, at the Fix Fights Podcast. You can find that at Twitter, at Fix Fights Pod, or you can check him out at Twitter, at KCPKO. Anything else the, the folks need to follow you at there, uh, Kurt? No, I think think that's perfect. Yeah, if you want to check out the pod, check us out. I appreciate being on the show. Thanks for inviting me, man. Absolutely, and I am Daniel Gumby-Greenland. He is Kurt Chase Patrick, and we will catch you next week.